Hello once again, everyone. Welcome to the Hiking Historian Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Berry, joined once again by the one, the only, Miss Sarah Coleman. Sarah, we have a very, very uh, topic I would say that's very dear to our hearts this week. It's the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. It is. Uh, this is a topic that uh, has come to mean a lot to me over the years for a variety of reasons. Number one is uh, I did a project on it in fourth grade, got the State Social Studies Fair. And had I not found a way to uh, talk fast, I probably would have placed. This is an honorable mention, but I my uh, fast talking was deducted from my score rather unfairly in my eyes. But you know what? It's I I I worked out pretty well. I think uh, another reason for me particularly is my great grand uncle served in the Second World War in the Pacific Theater, and I've got a story about him in Pearl Harbor coming up. Uh, but uh, it's because of what happened at Pearl Harbor that, of course, the U.S. went to war. So, it's very personal for me on a variety of reasons. What does it mean to you? Well, I can't really pinpoint anything that really set Pearl Harbor into motion for me other than when I was 17 years old, I picked up a book. It was uh, written by James Bradley. It's called Fly Boys, and that hit off my interest in World War II history, especially in the Pacific Theater. And um, I'd always seen the movie Pearl Harbor, and once I started learning more about the war, especially the Pacific side of it, it became more personal to me, and um, it's just something that really interests me, and I don't know a whole lot about it, I don't have a lot of books about it, but it's something that I really enjoy talking about, especially in terms of the sinking of the West Virginia and the raising of it and seeing how it was salvaged, restored, and it went on to fight later and help with uh, future campaigns of the war. She actually led the the U.S. uh, fleet into Tokyo. Yes, she did. As I recall. She did. So she, and as, as, now granted, the USS West Virginia was not built in the state of West Virginia, though I know naval shipyards here were a landlocked state, but anytime you see something with your ship, with your state's name on it, it means a little bit more. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing. People of Arizona probably felt a little bit uh, connected to the USS Arizona when she went down. And she is, of course, the enduring symbol of Pearl Harbor, still bleeding from her wounds now over 70 years later. And we can get into that all we want, uh, but we've got things to get on to now. Uh, I mentioned a story from my uncle. I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way. My uncle, I don't remember if he had enlisted in the Navy or not prior to this. I think he was a was an afterwards declared enlistee, but he may have he he was a very tall man. And here in West Virginia, we mine coal. The coal mines are not suited for tall men. They just are not. They are cramped. They are not tall. If you are anything above like you know average height, it ain't gonna work. And Grover was more than average height. He was he was he was greater than six foot. So Grover did not. It wasn't suited. He just didn't want to go in the mine, so he enlisted in the Navy, and, uh, he was actually, they lived in around Beckley, I believe, uh, West Virginia, and he was on a movie on, uh, Sunday, December 7, 1941, uh, and they saw the movie with about 10 minutes to go to announce Pearl Harbor had been bombed, and didn't even bother to finish, and he got real mad about that, Gover, actually, I interviewed him, I did a project on him in sixth grade, Separate Pearl Harbor, just on his service in the Navy in general. And uh, he got real mad about that. He got really mad. He's like, I didn't see the end of the movie till out till you know, the early, the mid-2000s or so. I got really mad because I wanted to see how the movie ended. We were right at the end. They couldn't have waited 10 minutes. That was a long time to wait to see the end of the movie. Yeah, and Grover loved movies. He, he was someone who would stay up till, you know, the butt crack of dawn uh, trying to... Uh, uh, Watching movies and stuff, he loved it. He loved sports too. He loved football. He and I bonded over that. Uh, and then I learned more about his naval career. Um, but he uh, he he did he loved movies, so he really did want to. He wanted to see how the movie ended, and it wasn't the time to wait. You're right about that. But that's that's my Grover story out of the way. Uh, but see, I, you're lucky that you have that story because my grandfather served in. World War Two as well, but I don't know much about his military stories, really. He was also in Korea, too, but... 
I'm while we're here, I can tell you another story while we're here. It's not related to Bihar, but I can still tell you. Uh, they went to uh, flight training school. I forgot where it was. It was somewhere like in Oklahoma, I think, or something like that. And as best I recall, this is how the story goes. He and his uh, friend were uh, trained to be navigators. And they had gone up and they switched planes before they went. The other plane went down. Mechanical failure. Had Grover not switched planes, he may well have died. So, yeah. There's there's a story for you. That reminds but, me of uh, another story, but it's not Pearl Harbor related, but it is World War II related. Uh, my step-grandfather, he was in the Navy during World War II, and I think he was a cook, but... Uh, he was over in the Atlantic serving, and I'm not sure why exactly he would have been on deck to shoot whatever gun he was shooting, but he, um, from what I understand, he accidentally shot one of our planes, thinking that it was an enemy plane coming, and from what I understand, he struggled with that. For the rest of his life. Oh, I, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. We we honestly, if we want to, could just sit here and talk about war stories for two hours. We could. But we, and we have a lot more time to do that. We probably should make an episode about that. If we're being completely honest, we probably should. But we've got things to talk about in relation to Pearl Harbor. So when most people think of Pearl Harbor, they can think of the, uh, well, probably the movie, if we're being completely honest. But people who, and I, Pearl Harbor, do you, satanic to me. I like Titanic the movie. In fact, I love it. Because it's a good representation of the ship. And I come to the ship and stay for the love story. Yes. For Pearl Harbor, you could almost say you're coming for the history and staying for the love story. If you like the love story at all. Uh, uh, I can do without the love story in the movie. Yeah. but Well, that's fair. Um, but the, the most... The historically fact-based thing most people come to think when they think of Pearl Harbor is USS Arizona. Yes. She is the enduring symbol of the of Pearl Harbor. She is still there. They didn't raise her. She can't be raised uh, for various reasons. Well, now she's been there for almost seven, almost eighty years. So it's kind of hard to raise an eighty-year-old ship off the bottom. I do have a few facts about the Arizona. Action. By all means. All right. So on the Arizona, twenty-three sets of brothers died. Um, only one full set of brothers survived in the sinking. But did you also know that Elvis helped, uh, I guess, bring about the memorial for the Arizona? I did not. I didn't either until recently. So a memorial was built for, as we all know, for the Arizona. But um, Elvis had performed a benefit concert in 1961, raising over $50,000 or more than 10% of the final cost to build the memorial for the ship. Huh. Interesting fact for you. That is interesting. Yeah. It was finally, uh, or actually officially dedicated in 1962. The attack on Pearl Harbor actually lasted nearly two hours, which of course I know that you know that. Uh, A total of Pearl Harbor, 2,400 lives were lost. 2,341 service members were out of that number was lost. Almost uh, half died. On the Arizona, about 1,177 died from the Arizona, the largest casualty. The Oklahoma was the second largest loss of life in the attack of Pearl Harbor. Because Oklahoma capsized. It did. And I remember, remember, I don't, I think I read it somewhere. I think I was reading a book on it. It, it may have been on TV show I was watching on it, but I remember hearing an account of the of the crewmen of the Arizona, of the Oklahoma banging on the bottom of the hull, begging for mercy. Oh, trying man. to trying to let anyone know that they were there, well, it's just because like, it's a ship capsized in the, in the midst of battleship row burning and picking yeah. field on fire and trying to get some semblance of a thought as to what the hell happened. Yeah, it, it's easy to get lost in that. It is. And when I heard that, I, I, I I'm not a crier by nat by nature. I'm just not. Yes. But I think I felt a tear going down my eye because. For those people who didn't make it, imagine sitting in this battleship that you've called home for how long. You may have had a friend of yours on shore leave, and you had to stay behind. Yeah. And look where it got you. 
uh, there's a really haunting story coming out of the West Virginia that is very similar to that. It's uh, rumored, well, it's not rumored, it's actual fact that men that were posted throughout the harbor to guard did not want to be anywhere near the West Virginia, especially at nighttime, because there was three men that was trapped in an airlock room, and when the ship sunk, and at nighttime they could hear banging against the hull, wanting them to come and to be rescued, but they couldn't do anything about it, because you think of all the oil and the gasoline and everything that was in the water, they couldn't get to them, because it would flood, and it would catch on fire, basically. Right, so I there mean, was the, these ships could... were loaded down with, with uh, well, these ships were coal-fired. Yeah. And Cole so burns. There was nothing they could do about it, and so guards didn't want to be posted around to listen to that at nighttime. I wouldn't but either. I don't blame them. I don't either. So, what, what was it? I think six months or so, from what I understand, after the attack, they finally was able to bring up the West Virginia, and I even read a book about a Navy diver that was on these dives uh, to bring up the ships. Uh, after they brought up the West Virginia, they found the, the room where... Uh, they found the room where the men were. They found their bodies there, and um, they found a calendar where they had marked 16 days they had survived in that ship begging for somebody to come and rescue them. You just you think about that for a second. Imagine if that was you in that ship. There was an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 21-year-old. These were so, kids. Their whole lives ahead of them. Their whole lives. And, and go ahead. they were lucky because they had... Uh, fresh, from what I understand, a fresh water uh, system in there. Then they had food rations, but what got them was the lack of oxygen. Right. And it just, it, it's sad because they were just waiting for their death to come. And that's terrible. It, and I, I point this out. It, it's the most tragic part about it is it was a Sunday. Men were on shore leave. These ships were not fully manned. Imagine if you let's let's point this out. I don't know if any incident is happening. But let's just point this out as it could have happened. Let's just say you were sitting there on, on below deck on Saturday night, and you were drawing a straw to see who got to go on straw leave on Sunday morning. Imagine drawing the short straw. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, well, look where it got you. And there's no way of knowing that. No one had any idea, but. It is one of those things where when you consider how, A, how bad this attack could have been, had there been men, on every, had these ships been fully manned and lost with all hands, or majority of hands, and then the second part of this, and we can get to this later, is the fact the United States aircraft carriers were out at sea, thankfully. They had been pulled out of Pearl Harbor, and that's arguably is what saved this from being the it's one of the worst. It is the worst naval disaster in U.S. history, by any measure. But it is most. It could have been a lot worse had the carriers been there. Oh yeah. Isn't it that the U.S. fired the first shot in terms of? Yes, that is true. I forget what ship it was, but there was uh, fired the first shot. But the Japanese had sent out submarines prior to the main aerial attack, and there were many subs. They weren't like full fledged. Uh, oh, yeah. modern U.S. submarines. Yeah. Excuse me. And uh, so, yes, there was a submarine that was spotted before the attack, be the main attack began, and the U.S. fired on it. So technically, the first shot of the of the uh, of the attack of, of Pearl Harbor was fired by the United States. But again, that's one of the most that's one of those obscure facts where if you know it, you do it. If you don't, you don't think anything of it. That's true. Most people, when they think of Pearl Harbor, don't even think of Hickam Field, no, they don't. the airfield. They think of Battleship Row, if they think of it at all. And I hate to say that, but when people think of Pearl Harbor, they think they think, they think the Arizona, they think FDR speech, and then they're off on whatever else they're doing. They're not giving it any more thought, Pearl and Harbor, that's a shame. It is a shame. I I can't sit here and tell you fact after fact after fact about it, but Pearl Harbor is just so much more than just Battleship Row. Oh, so much incredibly more. more. It, I, was, I actually listened to a, a podcast, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, and uh, it was talking about Pearl Harbor and Hickman Field, and it was the PACAF building, and 
uh, Battleship Road. But it's, uh, if it's the sort of thing that you like, it's called Haunted Places. And it went on, it told stories about it, but then it went on about how if you believe in that kind of stuff or whatever, it's just claims that people say that it's still haunted with the people that died there. And it's, it, I mean, it's it's interesting thought to think about, but it just throwing it out there in case any, any of our listeners. It is an inter- it, it is, it is interesting. interesting. You're right about that. It is interesting. Uh, you, I've said it about five times already, but I'm going to say it again. In regard to the haunted and whatever, there is an enduring image of Phil Harbor to this day. It's oil leaking from the Arizona. Oh, yeah. She's still bleeding. And the, the, the it's not an old wives' tale because it's too young to be an old wives' tale, but it is kind of a saying that she'll stop bleeding when the last survivor dies. That's what they say. Now, time will tell, but just every now and again, you can see little bits of oil coming up from the Arizona. And that doesn't tell you something happened there and what the lasting effect of that is. I don't know what will. Oh, I agree. I agree. Wasn't it, I think, the day before or around that time, she was actually filled up completely because I think they wanted to send her out. For, I'm not entirely sure about that. I read I'm honestly something not. about that. Uh-huh. Not that long ago, I can't remember the exact facts, but one fact I do remember is any survivor that, whenever they pass away, they have the option to be laid to rest with their shipmates if they choose to do yes, so. Yes, they do. There are several uh, military funerals with full honors given at the Arizona Memorial, and, the, and your ashes are scattered on the deck. Well, on what remains of the deck. But yes, that is that is true. Of course, we would never be let in anyway if we happened to come across one, but I can only imagine how much gravity there would be in that room. Oh, I know. I'd be, for myself, I'm I'm, I'm a softie, so I, I cry easily for things like that. So I would be in tears all the time. It, you know, on that same kind of basic topic, that's a place where you, whenever you and I ask where we want to go, we always say Pearl Harbor. Yes, we always say it. it, it and un- until you go there, I until we actually end up going there, whether it's uh, together or separately or however it ends up being, we're gonna say it because it's gonna be true. We want to see that for ourselves. I want to see, I want to look down in the in the Hawaiian water and see the bow of the USS Arizona, just sitting there. I want to look down the harbor and see the USS Missouri standing there as proud as you can get, the oh, stored. Yeah looking bright as a peach, just in her full glory. I want to think about, I want to look at where Battleship Row was. And I want to think of the West Virginia, the Tennessee. Uh, I can't remember. If, if I wasn't recording, I can name off every ship on Battleship Row, but now there's a mic in front of me, I can't think of any t- besides those two. It always seems to happen like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, the Utah, another one. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, you want to kind of look there and you want to go, okay, I know what happened here. It's, you've been to Gettysburg. Okay. I have not. But I'd imagine it would be almost the same kind of feeling. That was a unique experience for sure. Which, of course, most people don't really tend to think like you and I do. In that sense, uh, we talked about this just the other day, uh, how we just, when we go to places like that, we have such reverence for what happened there, and we feel the calling of history as if the people that lived and fought and died there reach out and say, hey, remember us, And and it's our calling to do that. There's an old World War One phrase. I really, they shall not grow old. Well, if you're someone like us, they don't have to grow old. There's still those, those young bucks, those eighteen to twenty-two year olds, or however old they were, with their whole lives in front of them. Oh yeah. They are fr- indeed frozen in time. So, 
we started out, I guess, with the intent was to spew off facts, and this became more of a discussion, which is fine. It's kind of, I guess, now that's what we're trying to do, but an another thing that I guess, and I don't want to skip over the details of the attack because it's important to recognize, but I think the historical legacy of the attack of Pearl Harbor is in many ways more important than the actual events. Yes. You can't ignore it. There, you can't raise the Arizona. She's gonna be there, but the historical significance of what happened is very much at the forefront. At least it should be to us. And another thing that comes with that is FDR's speech, made December eight, nineteen forty-one. Yes. Fun fact: Did you know that the car they used to take FDR to the Capitol belonged to Al Capone? I remember you telling me that once before. Yes, it did. Uh, it was basically after he was got for tax evasion, the uh, FBI impounded it, they kept it, and uh, they decided that they needed extra protection. Now the U.S. is basically in a state of war without having actually been declared yet. Uh, so the Secret Service said they were going to do that. They went to the FBI and they went trying to find a car. The FBI said we have one. And when, and when FDR got in the car, they told him who he noticed it was this car, and he said, well, who is this? He said, oh, it's Al Capone's car. I said, I hope Al doesn't mind. That, that, I, I love that line. That's, oh, yeah, I, that's definitely an interesting story to hear. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of those instances where you get to talk about how FDR couldn't walk. Oh, yeah. Uh, his son had to usher him and help him to the podium. And if you know anything about FDR, you know he had... It's called polio. There are there's some discussion whether actually it was polio or not. Uh, I I'm on the I'm on the fence of that. It may not have been polio specific, but I will go with that until proven otherwise. Uh, but uh, he had to wear leg braces to walk, and it was literally if you ever watched the the Rankin Bass uh, Christmas special with the the Here Comes Santa Claus, put one foot in front of the other. It was literally that. Just put one foot in front of the other and try to move. And this is one of those instances where you got a man who couldn't walk, who was trying, who tried with every bit of effort and had to deal with the media to not show his uh, inability to walk. Had to lead the country through a war. And he knew this is going to be hell. And here you are, you've got this man. This is why I love the FDR so much. His politics, okay. I'm not the biggest fan of his politics. But I would argue it was needed in the U.S. at that time. Uh, but I, I just admired the person who had enough internal strength to get up every day, this that alone, and to lead the country through a depression and then through us, and then through the Second World War. You only can imagine what's going through his head. Knowing you've got to declare a war, and you got to not only that, you have to rally a nation. We've just had our our territory attacked out of the blue. No one saw it coming. You've got to find a way to do that. That's incredible. I agree. It is incredible. And of course, we all know the words. Yesterday, December seventh, nineteen forty-one. A date which will live in infamy. The United States was was uh, suddenly and deliberately, deliberately attacked by the, by the naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Japan. That I listened to that speech this morning. I went out and I got coffee at a national chain I will not mention uh, due to due to uh, copyright reasons. But uh, I, uh, I I went out and I was listening to that speech and I'm just sitting there like man. This, it, it's the worst possible reason to give the speech, but it is one of the best speeches in American history. It's hands down probably my favorite speech. He, I hate the circumstances it was given in, but I love the speech. He, in many ways, offers almost like a calming fatherly hand, doesn't he? He does. It's like, yes, we're going to war. We have to. We don't have a choice. But... We're going to get through this. And we're going to do it together. Uh, what's the line? But always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. Again, that's basically like, okay, yeah, don't forget this, okay? 
because we're gonna need we're gonna need that enduring, frankly, pissed off feel to get through this. Yeah. We're gonna have to do it, but we also can't forget those who died there either. Speaking of not forgetting that pissed off feeling, I think it was. What was it? Six months later, you had the Doolittle raid. Sounds like a reasonable timeline. I don't remember the exact date, but that sounds like a reasonable timeline. That's Are you going somewhere else with that? No. Okay. Just, <laughs> it made me think of the Doolittle raid as a. Yeah. Huh. It just made me think of it. Yeah. As a payback. Yeah, that's a good point. And then, of course, the big payback turning point was Midway. Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, we can get into that a little bit later when it actually comes time for the anniversary of Midway. But that was really the point of war where everyone went, oh, okay, they mean business now. Yeah. They've recovered, they mean business, and they're pissed off as hell. And I found it amazing that Hitler didn't want to go to war with the U.S. Yeah. I <laughs> He's like, that... you know what, I, I can do without that. Yeah, I found it interesting, too, when he told me the other day that he loved American movies. Yeah, he, he really did. Didn't, that's something I don't think anyone really thought we'd have a Hitler mentioned in a Pacific Theater podcast. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think. But it, there's still there's still a connection there. There still is, yes. But yeah, Hitler loved American movies, always loved to see it, and uh, he really didn't want to go to war with the U.S. And of course, after Japan declared war by attacking Pearl Harbor, the U.S. declared war. Germany was, by all intents and purposes, inclined to declare war against the United States, and they did so. Yeah. He did so reluctantly because I think he knew, it was like, well, okay... That's the sleeping bear. And we just woke it up. And this... Pearl Harbor, in many ways... It... It began... The... How am I going to word this? It sort of began the U.S. into... The era of... Being the... Unquestioned superpower of the world. I can see that. You can argue there were some superpowers like Great Britain and the and, and uh, like that after the First World War. You can argue that, but I think after the Second World War, it was okay. It runs through America now. Yeah, I can totally see that. And it showed what uh, American might and triumph and determination will get you, because once this country went on war footing, it was no looking back. Once this country went on war footing, it was, okay, here we go. We're going, and we're going to win this war. It may, no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. Listen to that line the way FDR says it, and tell me that's not someone who is determined to win a war. And that's basically telling everyone, you don't have a choice. Win, or it will be bad. Which, that's still the case in any war, but yeah. still it's like, okay, well, we don't win this thing, we're in deep trouble. That's one thing that I love about America during that time is the whole country band together and really just supported one another. And we pulled through together as a nation. America pulled through. It, you're right. It's arguably the biggest unification in American history. It's a, we can debate about what is, but you can you can say with a good amount of certainty that probably is. Uh, second would be September twelfth, two thousand one. Yeah, that's true. But which is this generation's Pearl Harbor? Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna be completely honest about it, it is. It is. So that's you know. I'm going to go there. I'm a rail fan. I like trains. and Well, that's an important part of right. the It's The American railroad system played a massive part in, in the war effort. We That's around here. We just said we mine coal. What did coal power? It powered the warships. It powered the factories, which made the airplanes, which made the ships, which made the guns, which made the ammo. And Whenever. took the so, took the uh, soldiers to the Pacific and uh, Europe and Europe. Whenever. Without that, we probably don't win the war. That's true. The, the American industry and the American might of production 
is really a large part of what won the Second World War. So last year, in 2019, uh, the town that we live in hosted our first ever World War Two festival, and uh, so I kind of helped with that, mostly doing photography work, and in the process of it, I was reading up on it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we used to get our steel from Japan, and then once the attack happened, it transferred over into West Virginia, and we produced coal, but we also got into the steel making business as well, and we helped... I- Power. I had not heard about that. Yeah, but it at least I, that's what I've read. I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past us, but I think Sierra Lanka, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. Yeah, but that's basically that's only seventy miles in West Virginia, so it is. It may as well be West Virginia. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting to hear, and we had a FDR reenactor here, and one of my heroes also showed up, Woody Williams. Yes. And I have a feeling when we get to D-Day, we're going to do a big, uh, not D-Day, Iwo Jima. We're going to oh, be yeah. do a big, long show on that. Oh, yeah. That is actually my favorite battle coming out of uh, the Pacific Theater. And here's how that's going to go. I'm just going to put a mic in front of your face. I'm going to say, I'll check back at <laughs> you in two hours. Okay. That's how that's going to go. I, I, I had nothing to add. Interesting okay? fact, though. Uh, Iwo Jima is a part of, I forget what Island Chain is a part of, but you have... Uh, so many miles, I think, to the north of Iwo Jima is a, another island called Chichijima. And the Japanese had bunkered in to that island, although the United States never uh, invaded that because Iwo Jima was a crucial point for its airfields. Um, but what little I know about Chichijima, the way the Japanese had bunkered into the cave systems and everything else, I think it would have been brutal hell probably impossible for U.S. Uh, soldiers to land on Chichijima just the way that they had that set up, but you did have airmen that would crash, that would do uh, bombing runs through the area, and some of them unfortunately crash-landed in the ocean, was picked up by the Japanese, and they never made it off the island, which I'll get into that story, that's for another day, but uh, George Bush Sr. actually crash-landed near the island, and he was fortunate enough to uh, that there was a U.S. ship nearby, or a submarine, one of the two, that picked him up. Can you imagine how different U.S. history would have been if Bush Sr. would have not made it in the war? Not to mention JFK's PT boat. That's true. I mean, think about it. We, J- J- JFK's brother died in uh, Germany, yeah, in the uh, European front. So, it's amazing. You're right. One one thing could go either way and change the course of human uh, change the course of human events. For the better or for worse, is your inter- up to your interpretation. But the point is, it would change. I actually have a story you mentioned crash landing. Mm-hmm. I told you the story before. I love when my dad tells it, but he's not here right now, so I'm going to tell it before. I'm going to tell it in place of my dad. His dad was in the uh, Pacific uh, Theater as well. Now, he and Grover, to my knowledge, never actually were stationed together, but they did basically the same thing. My uh, my dad's dad was an air machine mate, air machinist mate, and uh, he was part of, not necessarily part of the Seabees, but they were with the Seabees, the construction battalion. So they would go and they would land and they would do all that. They set up their air strip, set up their uh, uh, hangars and stuff. And if you ever get a chance to listen, read about the CBs, do it. It's very interesting. But here's my point. The Japanese would go on bombing raids at night. Well, obviously they're not going to say they're taking that without a fight, are they? They're going to put, they're going to get their own men in the air. Well, they all gone down in the in the into a foxhole. Uh, the the people who were not flying. Uh, and uh, they had a radio close by so they could hear what was going on. And uh, one of uh, my dad's dad, my grandfather's best friends, got shot. His plane got shot, and uh, he he was begging for mercy, trying to get some because they turned they dimmed all the lights. They absolutely no not a thing because even a little bit of light in the middle of the night is a target. Mm-hmm. 
and you cannot jeopardize one island with one light. You just can't do it. It's got to be complete and total darkness. And so, he's up there begging for mercy, trying to get a light on. And he knows if he doesn't, he's going to, to crash, and he's likely going to die. He knows that. And he's begging for mercy, and this is one of my dad's dad's best friends. And he felt the move to the light switch, and he felt the 45 on his back. His commanding officer said, Barry, I like you, but he knew the rest when he went up. If you turn that light on, I will kill you right here and now. I cannot have you jeopardize this entire island because of your friend. He knew the risk. And so he backed away. And to everyone's knowledge, that and that young man died that night. That gives me chill bumps. That's the reality of war. It is. There's... When it comes to the war in general, I love reading about the personal stories. That's a large collection of my books is personal stories. Uh, I enjoy learning about facts, but I can only take so many facts in at one point or so much at one time. But I, I love the personal stories of it. And sadly, it's a generation that is almost gone from us. And Some of them were able to put their stories out there. Others have a very hard time talking about it. Uh, but I, If you have someone that you know that is of that age and, if they're able and, to they're, and they're willing to talk about it and able to, see if they will, record it, yes. and if you don't record it, record it in your mind. Listen. Because these stories are vanishing at an astonishing rate. They are. And there are some who simply won't, and that's perfectly understandable. I'm not here to judge. But if you've got someone who is willing to discuss what they did, do it. It's discuss with them. Learn what happened. Because there's going to be a day where we're going, where's, where, where's the next World War II veteran? They're, they're gone. Yeah. And here's the thing. Those guys are in their 90s now. They are. That day is not far off. No, it isn't. Their stories are invaluable, and it's, uh, if you want to learn about history, there is your first source. They lived it. Perfect way to learn history, and it's a way, I don't want to say it's a way to bond with them, but some of them may feel like that they don't have anybody that they could talk to, but just be willing to be open and listen to them. Show compassion that you understand the best to your abilities what they went through. I was going to say, you can never fully understand. No. Unless but if you can talk. show compassion and listen to them, yes. I have a feeling that would go a long way. Oh, it will. So that's... that. That's the main point. And again, we... I'm pretty sure some people clicked on this podcast or we're going to put it on a YouTube channel as well. And I'm pretty sure they're thinking, based on what our previous videos have been, fact, 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 story of, story of, this is different. Because yes, there are facts. And honestly, you did research, so that I didn't bring my research into this room, and I didn't want to stop and go get it. Yeah. So I'm flying blind. But I know enough about it, I can probably, I can probably manage. Uh, but, you know, it's like, okay, well, great. This is different. We want to do this differently because this is a st this is a video you and I have planned out in some form for months now. It is. We've agreed to do this. It's something we wanted to do, and we're doing it, and it's going to be hopefully received well. But this is one of those things where we want to. I don't know if it was a stated goal. Like I don't think any either of us stood there or sat there in our phones or whatever and saying I want people to do this, but go out and learn it for yourself. You know. Don't always rely on us to go sit here and tell you what happened. Oh, yeah. Use your own inhibitions. Use your own curiosity. Oh, yeah. Hear about the USS West Virginia, the the uh, Arizona, the Missouri Notable Natural Harbor. She's there now. Go learn about that stuff. Go learn about Hick and Field. That's go learn about the, uh, the first shot, the U.S. aircraft carriers. 
uh, Admiral Nimitz coming in after Pearl Harbor taking over the Pacific Fleet. Go learn about the speech. Go learn about the alliance between Japan, Italy, and, the, and Nazi Germany. I also wanted to kind of throw in there, too, that not long, I think it was the day after Pearl Harbor, you had the Bataan Death March, where uh, you had oh, MacArthur, it left the Philippines. and Oh, yeah, yeah so I'll so, be back. Yep, I'll be back. And uh, He was right. He was right. So learn about that, too. That's a very... It's a gut-wrenching thing to learn about, but I believe it's important to learn about. I have a friend who who enjoys... He took a class at uh, college, uh, basically about the history of war. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would be cool to take the class on. I couldn't... Yeah. My college didn't offer it, to my knowledge, but he went to a much bigger school that's... I'll tell you who it is later if you can't already figure it out. Uh, but he uh, he talked to me about it, and he said, World War II is my favorite era of history to learn about. A lot of people probably think, that, a lot of people probably share that opinion. And I agree with it, it is mine. Second is probably the Cold War. Uh, and we can get into that at a different date, too. Because this, in many ways, started us down the road to the Cold War. Thank God it started us with the, the, the bomb and the Manhattan Project, which I still need to finish a book I bought in like September on the Manhattan Project. I'm behind in my reading a good bit. So am I. The Cold War is one thing that I have zero knowledge about. I am too. Well, Manhattan Project, I bought, I bought, I bought the book on Manhattan Project for the sole purpose of getting more knowledge on it. Yeah. Because I knew about it, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. I didn't know specifics or facts or anything like that. And you and I are mostly the same thing. We don't read for fiction. We read for information. We do. It's really hard. I don't pick up a fiction book. That's a historical fiction book. I'm... I'm I think in my last probably 15 years since I've been reading, I'm lucky if I've read maybe five fictional books in total. Wow. Yeah, and Lucas can attest to this. You look at my bookshelf, what is it filled with? History. History. And I have a small growing collection of uh, like philosophy and other... It's like, like 98% history, though. Yeah, like mythology, but a large part of it is history. She's right. Uh, I, I was thinking back to where I started reading all that stuff. Mm-hmm. When I was in grade school, they still did the AR, the, the accelerated reading thing, where they would have you uh, read a number of books or whatever and reward you for that. I wasn't in it to be rewarded. I just like reading. There was a thing called the Magic Treehouse books. They were now that I know about it now they were basically a kid's version uh, a kid's American version of Doctor Who. Yeah. These kids went in a magic tree house that could travel in time and space. Where have I heard that before? But they would go to all these sort of things like Titanic and the Civil War, I think they had one or wherever it was. It was some form of history involving it. And I just fell in love with that. I would read those as a kid growing up. And yeah, I read Brad Meltzer, who's a historical fiction author who does, uh, who has some couple nonfiction books out too. Uh, he, basically, he he goes to the National Archives, he researches, he puts in his book. He doesn't just come up with something random off the wall. He he writes it to fit the effect, and I respect that and I love it. Oh yeah, that's who I read if it's fiction. If it's not, I'm reading like I have a book on my hand. I have a book. I read a, I have read a book on uh, Ernest Hemingway. I'm reading, rereading Cold War, uh, Rocket Boys on uh, kind of in the Manhattan Project, kind of same basic vein, uh, Cold War, Nuclear Age. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that. So yeah, there's and there's a ton of books about Pearl Harbor and, the, and World War II that you can go get at your local library. Just, you know, do it safely now, but it, it's right there. And if you don't feel like doing that, something called the internet. There probably might that might have a few things you can look at. Oh yeah, just just a few. So it's it's out there. And again, we could have sat here for forty four minutes and just spewed fact after fact after fact about it. But I don't think I, I, honestly that got kind of boring. You see, I think for me when it comes to history, uh, I tell my mom this. I've told. Uh, one of my best friends, this, that history is so much more than just timelines and dates. It's personal stories. And for me, the personal stories is what got me interested in history. And 
I believe that I speak for the both of us, uh, reiterating kind of what you were saying a few minutes ago, is while we thoroughly love history and we enjoy doing this together, I know that it is our goal would be to ultimately spark an interest in a listener out there to research more on either the topic that we're discussing or find something, an era within history that really speaks to you, learn about it, spark that interest in somebody else. And I think that's, for me, that's what's important is to, you know, just spark an interest in somebody else. Right. We said it first off yeah. uh, when we first did this podcast. What did we say? We wanted to have a, you know, you have a different era of history that you like than I do. Mm-hmm. I'm more contemporary and modern history. Revolutionary War is probably about as far back as I go, but I really find it fascinating. Outside of that, eh, not my thing. I love you. You go back a bit further. But I also like ancient history too. I love learning about the ancient religion history and uh, Celtic history and Norse mythology and all that. All that stuff's interesting. As and well. I like maritime history and war and stuff like that and technological yeah. advances and you're more that and that's perfectly fine. That's what makes this so good, is because. There is a difference. Uh, there's a different viewpoint, and there's a different way in which you d- and you express your love of history, and that's perfectly fine. At the end of the day, that's what makes this, I think, is going to be a real hit because you have stuff that you like that doesn't interest me a bit, and I have stuff that I like that you probably could care less about if we're really being completely honest. So that's what makes it so good, and that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to get you, in some way, if you have you digest this, if you watch it on YouTube. If you listen to it as a podcast, whatever, just please, 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 please look into what we're discussing. I did the last video we did, HMHS, HMHS Botanic. I got that idea a week before I a week before the video got posted. I turned that out in a week, and you know why? Because I have enough of a curiosity about Olympic class liners and maritime history to where I was. I thoroughly enjoyed writing that and learning about it. Because I knew how she sank. I didn't know the ins and outs of it. I learned a lot when I did that. That's fun to me. Find something that sparks your interest like that. Find it and run with it. Oh, yeah. I think I think that's good, 47 minutes. I think so, too. I think it is. It's probably enough. We can, Again, this is not a... This was not a in-depth thing. If this is in-depth, we'd be here all day. Oh, yeah. This would be a continual live stream all day. If we were really to be honest, it would be a continual live stream all day. With you and I, the way we do history, I think we could easily do that. No question about it. I can even get my brother in here and he could, he could join in and we'd be here all day. Yeah. So, you know, it's... And, and, hey, my dad got home. He got off of stuff too. So we, 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 we would be here like 8 to 8. We would. We should do that one day. Just set up a live stream and just go. That would be really fun. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be. But uh, we can do that as, as time allows. We can certainly look into doing that. But here's the point. We didn't want to go, and I've said this about a million times, so you're probably thinking, okay, I get it, but I have to wrap it up somehow. Uh, we, we didn't want to go, man, here's at 7.48 a.m. the first wave happened at, you know, at... 8.20 or whatever. I forget the actual time of the second wave. Mm-hmm. But let's just say that was in and around the ballpark. Now, they got, I don't want to say at 7.53 a.m. the USS Arizona hit the AF magazine. Uh, Bob hit the Arizona's AF magazine and all of a sudden it was... It wasn't the Fuller magazine. I forget which one it was. I think it was the AF magazine. I think. Uh, but anyway... The uh, we didn't we didn't want to go out and just give you a timeline of the attack. We wanted to discuss the historical effect of the attack and throw in some facts here and there, sure, because I love random facts and I love it more, more than I love most things. To be honest with you, <laughs> I love trivia. Uh, and who knows? This might this might help you win millionaire for all you know. But uh, you know, we we just wanted to have a discussion on the historical effects of Pearl Harbor, why this day is so important. And why, and you and I have talked about this before, we'll end on this one. If I say to you, 
December 7th, 1941. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes, I will. If we go to 90% of people around us, they have no clue. It's just another day to them. Sadly. Right. I, I'll tell you the story. When I was going to college for a final exam, I had an exam uh, one morning going to, going to school. And I drove about an hour plus to school from where I live here in Fayetteville. And I looked up in the sky. I just happened to be looking up at the sky that day. And it was a clear blue sky day. And I saw a cloud formation that to anyone else would have been just another cloud. It wouldn't have meant anything. But I swear, it looked like the capsized Oklahoma and the superstructure of the Arizona rising from the ashes. Or the West Virginia. You can say, well, I, th- I, I thought the Arizona specifically. And I thought about the men who were, we mentioned, sir, who were trying to, who were banging out, crying for help, begging for mercy from the capsized Oklahoma. And then the enduring image of the Arizona burning, going up in, in literal smoke and flames, and still being there now as the enduring symbol of the attack. How those men are never forgotten from Oklahoma, from the Arizona, from Tennessee, the West Virginia, the Utah, the Nevada, the Pennsylvania, Hickam Field, and even the civilians who were around there. There were civilians who got caught in this mess too. There was. It wasn't just a a military attack. So, that's when I saw that. It was on December 7th, 2016. 75 years to the day. That was one of those things where if you're one of us that cares about that, that hit home a little bit. To everyone else, no big deal. For us, that meant something. And it's a darn shame people don't realize. When that when I say that date, it should be automatic. But it isn't. And that's hopefully what we accomplish here is if you're coming across this and you don't find that date fascinating, maybe you do now. Maybe you do. Or if not, there's another date I don't know about that you probably ought to think, hey, this is cool. Something of that effect. Got a closing thought? I think I'm good. All right, she's good. So am I. This has been the Hiking Historian. Podcast number two, video number four, I believe, if I have my math correctly, and I'm not good at math, so maybe I don't. Uh, But this is our show. Thanks for watching, listening, however you took it in. Join us next time when I believe we'll have the Christmas truce of 1914, if that's, in fact, our next video coming out. I don't know if I have anything else prior to that, but that's the next thing we have in mind that we've openly discussed. Until then, for Sarah, I'm Lucas. Be safe, everyone.